welcome to another episode of Standing 8. I'm Paul Fitzgerald and I'm joined by my co-host, three-time world champion and Boxing Hall of Famer, Jeff Fennick. Great to be here, Paul. And today we've got uh, North Melbourne, former AFL legend, Corey McKernan. Welcome. Former AFL legend. <laughs> former <laughs> AFL I've player. been demoted already. Yeah. <laughs> Still a legend. Yeah. How are you, mate? Uh, very good. Well, between us all, we've uh, won a couple of premierships and world titles between us all at the table, haven't we? So. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe you guys <laughs> have, you You're know. part of it. part of the table, brother. <laughs> oh, welcome. Um, so, Corey, is it true that you never actually wanted to play AFL football? Is that? I Yeah, well, what I did, I think like a lot of kids that you start playing football from a young age and I started playing when I was five, uh, I think at that time, when I started playing football, I couldn't even sign um, sign my name. Some people would say nothing's changed anyway. Um, but at that time, couldn't even sign my name, played footy. So I was five years old, played until I was about 12 or 13. And uh, the thing that I then got into, I started playing golf when I was about 12 or 13 and played from a, from then till probably when I was 13 till I was about 17. And then Dennis Pagan started coming around my house, who was our then senior coach and I used to uh, – we lived in a court in Gladstone Park in uh, in Melbourne, which is near Tullamarine, and I used to see his silver chimera coming down the, co- down the court and I'd tell mum, I'd say, mum, tell him I'm, I'm not home. So I'd, he'd come to the front door and I'd go hide in my bedroom. And in the end, he just said – I think he got a hold of me at a weak moment and he said, oh, look, just come down and play. We're not worried about whether you're going to train. And – I think on a Thursday night I went down there, trained once, and then on the Saturday I think it would have been round six or seven of that year and then kicked 11 goals in my first game. So that was the end of golf after that. <laughs> yeah, right. We still play a lot of golf. Is that what, what you would have liked to have done if you hadn't have played AFL? It's interesting. I don't know, well, obviously with Jeff with boxing and stuff like that, and I know that you loved your league, but I look, I – I played football because I was good at it, but then golf I actually really loved. So, but it was just, did I make the right choice? Yeah, 100% made the right choice. But I think it's like every athlete either wants to be a movie star and every movie star wants to be an athlete, you know what I mean? And you can probably see all the photos up on Jeff's wall that that's exactly, it's funny how people do one profession and they want to do another one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, like I said, I was just blessed and I mean, I didn't want to box and I just found it by accident. And, uh, yeah, the rest the rest was history for me. But, Corey, how's the game changed today? The game of the um, – yeah, it has changed a lot. I just feel like um, – now I know we're in New South Wales and it's very league, um, league country, but one thing with the AFL that I don't know whether people actually know about is if apparently we've got the greatest game in the world, why do they need to change the rules every year? And I think um, – they have a rules committee and sometimes you know what committees are like. Committees nearly feel like they have to make decisions every year and I, I personally I just wish they'd leave the bloody game alone and just let it evolve. Even in a year like now with COVID, there were so many – the players were taken out of in their own environments. They were playing out of hubs and it was such a and, – and you'd know better than anyone from being in boxing and having the importance of routine and structure and and that sort of thing to, to be at your best. Well, imagine all those players that – all of a sudden were taken out of Melbourne, out of their daily routines, but then still expected to perform at a high standard. I would, and again, to answer the question about how's the game, I just wish they'd leave it alone and especially on the back of a year like COVID, just, just let the dust settle. And I think at the end of the, the end of the day, the AFL probably did a really good job in terms of making the season happen. I think with all the obstacles that got thrown at it, I think Gill and McLaughlin, I mean, 
he really earned his money. Yeah, also um, as, as well as I think what you're talking about, to change your lifestyle so dramatically, being a player that you can't see your girlfriend, you can't see your family or your children at times, wow, it must have been hard. And I think it, it is little things like that. People would would go, okay, they're coming from Melbourne, they're getting out of Melbourne, which, okay, that was great. You don't yeah. want to be in lockdown. But as Jeff mentioned, those little things like during the week, like you might have, okay, on a Wednesday night I go around to mum and dad's for dinner or I go and play golf or I just want to go down and have a cup of coffee. All these things, they don't sound like big things, but for a lot of players they are. Because like your routine's sort of ruined. 100%. 100%. It doesn't matter whether you're in sport or business and that's probably the biggest thing that happened with COVID is that disruption in everyone's daily and, routines and, and, and the impact and it's, it's had. It's just the routine. It's your lifestyle. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you sleep with somebody regularly every night and all of a sudden there's months you're not – it must have killed these guys. I'm blessed. I mean, here at home, I mean, and like I said, I've, I've got the gym, I've got I've got everything, I mean, but I feel so sorry that some of those guys who, you know, crossed the line and got in trouble, wow, man, I wouldn't have been in that hotel for a day. I would have been sneaking out every single day. <laughs> I, feel, I did feel very sorry for it's all right for the guys that might have had uh, partners and had yeah. their girlfriends, but I tell you what, for the single blokes in there, they might have been doing a little bit tough that the, the Wednesday regular that did, couldn't come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's another part of your routine. You probably – they're yeah. just little things like that. And, look, I think at the end of the day, the, the people that put on the game this year, I know in the AFL and the NRL, did do a brilliant job. But the AFL in particular, when you virtually had – at one point, you had all 18 teams in Queensland, which you would never imagine in your wildest dreams. But I think the job that they did to put the game on, they were having four-day breaks in the end. I'm sure some of those players yeah. have learned to be really sneaky now because you got your mates around you all the time. How they would, how, I'm not sure where they would have or how they would have done it, Corey, but I would have found some way to do it. Let me guarantee you that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet you would have. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. You know what athletes are like. We do get very resourceful and we can always find a way. Very creative. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what one thing that amazes me with AFL is, you know, every game you're getting eighty to 100,000 people, you know, to a match. You've got a huge supporter base in Melbourne. It's, it's like a religion. What's it like for a young fella – Coming into the AFL, all of a sudden you're a, you're a megastar. What's what's that transition like, and how do you sort of handle that? Look, like you said, I, I think sport in Sydney and, and Melbourne are two vastly different things. I think up here um, there there are a lot of other things you can do. But even as we noticed yesterday when we went to a number of different meetings, to get from one part of Sydney to another part of Sydney is probably not the easiest thing wow. to do. Mm. And 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 as you mentioned, look. I don't know what it is about the AFL. It is in the culture of the game where people love to go to the footy. And it is one great thing with Melbourne that you're probably looking forward to next year, like round one, Richmond versus Carlton, MCG, 90,000 people. Like there, is, there is nothing better. And I think it's the thing in every sport and boxing would have been the same. Obviously on the weekend we have um, uh, Tyson and Roy Jones fighting without a crowd. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really rams home how special having – fans there are. Mm -hmm. I know it's very cliched, but what, it doesn't matter what sport it's been. And, and the AFL, I think, even noticed that. Of, It's probably – it's interesting even with a team like Geelong. If Geelong go back next year, and as they probably should, they've re recruited Jeremy Cameron from GWS. If they go to the grand final next year, it is a vastly different experience for – They've really only got Joel Selwood, their captain, and Tom Hawkins. Outside of that, every other player in that team, yes, they've played a grand final in Brisbane, but playing in front of 
30, 40,000 is nothing compared to yeah, playing sure. at the MCG where you run out and it's probably no different to walking out in a fight in Vegas where you, as soon as you walk out, you sort of get that punch in the face of the crowd and the, and you feel the crowd when you do it. So yeah, nothing can ever, sort of to answer your question, I don't think anything ever really prepares you for the, for the wall of sound and your first experience of running out in the MCG. And I think for me, I played really well um, in my sixth or seventh game, we played Collingwood in front of 76,000 people and I played really well. So from it was sort of like no difference to probably having a big fight where you perform really well. You know that that's in your memory bank that, hey, forever and a day, whenever I go back and, you know and you go on the – You know you can do it. And all of my bigger – my bigger problem was more the consistency. All the big games I was fine but it was all the other ones where it wasn't so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Just going back a little quick, I – Obviously, being from Sydney, I used to always think that you know, AFL was inferior to in it, to the NRL. And then I had all my fights in Melbourne, and I trained with a lot of the guys, the, the Darren Mullanes and the Tony Shaws and all those guys. And then I watched them at training. I went to a lot of training um, days um, for all different clubs, Collingwood and so on. And the one thing that really stood out for me was in the NRL back ten years ago, or a forward would do a specific forward training and other guys do different things. But in the AFL, everybody done the same. So they all have that amazing skill. They're all taught that skill level. In the in the NRL, like if you're a big forward, hold the ball, just take the ball up the middle. But And it really impressed me. I, like, I've Ever since, <coughs> ever since yeah. I, I moved and lived in Melbourne and forward in Melbourne, I really love I love watching the game. At the moment I'm training a few of the GWS guys, Toby Green and the boys come to the house a couple of times a week and I'm really enjoying it. They're working really, really hard. And I think, look, in, in regards to both the games, everyone loves to have this, this debate, uh, who's better. It doesn't matter. They're both great games. Yeah. And, and I don't think, uh, like, people in Sydney understand how much the Melbourne Storm are, are revered in Melbourne. Like, just they, they now, like the likes of Cameron Smith, Billy Slater mm. and these guys in Melbourne, they are as big a names in Melbourne as your Chris Judds, Wayne Careys. Like, to have that sort of thing, I don't think the NRL embraces – how great that really is. I think they sort of take it for granted and they're sort of like, we don't like Melbourne Storm, yeah. they're successful. I reckon people up here sort of nearly resent the Storm because they're successful rather than seeing it as, hey, you've gone into AFL heartland, look at the look at what you've done for the game and, and I don't think they really understand it. I know they'll end up, they're talking about they'll do a statue for uh, Cameron Smith and Billy Slater and like they should because the impact on, on Melbourne is unbelievable. Well, I think it's a lot of it in the Australian culture. It's that tall poppy syndrome. And you, I mean, you felt the effects of that a little bit too, Jeff. Um, anyone that's super successful, we try and cut them down. I think that's, that's probably happened with the but with I, but I think, you know what, it's the one thing many years ago that the AFL did right and the NFL are probably, uh, the NRL are probably 30 years behind is that the AFL embraced the national competition. Mm. And they just said, right, we're going to put teams in Perth. We're going to have them in Adelaide. The, the NRL for a little bit did them but they should have stuck at them. Yeah, well, well, again, we tried and, and, and the most successful successful one was Melbourne. And just think about it. How would, it, how would anybody think that an NRL club was going to make it in in, a, in the AFL Club of the world? It's, it's crazy what the transformation, it's crazy what those guys have done. But winning and having a great formula is, is a great formula. Yeah. It's crazy when you actually think about it. So when we all get to travel and you try you explain that, like I suppose in my case, that you actually played Australian rules football, and when you explain to people in Los Angeles or New York to go, yeah, we've got this game and there's actually 10 teams in one in one state and yet 
they've all the, an average crowd of about 40,000 people. Crazy. There's one team that's got in particular now 100,000 members in Richmond. Like it's crazy when you think about it and trying to explain it. The, the, for a long time up until the last few years, a place like Los Angeles didn't have an NFL team. Yeah. Now they've actually got two. But it's such a big market. You're talking 60, 70 million people didn't have a football team but yet a population of, what, 5 million had mm. 10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a name before, Wayne Carey. Yeah. What was he like? He was the captain of your side. Um for the majority of your career, what was he like as a leader? And what's he like as a guy? The biggest thing I think that was grossly underestimated about the way that Wayne went about it, and he actually did our walk, which Jeff did the other day. Um, and I, I say this time and time about with Wayne and and even the biggest impact that that even had on me was the way that he trained and the way that he went about it. Like I know that, yes, there was the on-field stuff and how great a player he was and running back with the fly to the ball and being courageous and that sort of thing, but the biggest thing that was underestimated about Wayne Carey was the way that he prepared for games of footy, no different to why you won triple world champion, that you made those sacrifices in the way that you went about it. Hey, cool. It's great that you say that because I, I talk about everything. Preparation is everything. Forget about game day. It's what you do prior to game day that makes you perform on game day. If you haven't done it, you don't have the mental capacity to to to, to cope or to change at, at times if something's not happening. Right. But if you've done it in training, you've gone through that pain barrier. It's it's really simple and, and great. All great athletes do that. They have that. They have that recipe. And that look. That's where I've been sort of really fortunate with. And I know we're going to talk about it soon anyway with the walks. That it's yeah something that um, yes I'm helping other people out. But I tell you what, even when I'm getting to ask questions and obviously I got to interview Jeff and then this morning we had Pat Rafter and and just going back to Wayne Carey, yeah, I think the biggest thing that the impact that he had on me was at training, like even just little things like where we'd run a 400 metre and just to be on that inside inside lane and I'd go, come on, give me a go and it'd just be little things, no, nah, well, if you want the inside lane, you, you beat me. You know I mean, so just little things like that and even all the extra sessions during the week, yeah, I mean, yeah, and this is what I'd say to people, if you want to you want to be normal, just do the training that everyone else does or if you want to be extra special, well, do the extras. And and that's the thing that he always used to say to him. Like I, you'd follow him, like whether it was, okay, this week we're going for an extra swim or might be an extra skill session or – and all of a sudden you can go into games from a, a mindset point of view that you can nearly relax – not relax, but you know that oh, you you've know actually – yeah, You know yeah. you've actually done everything possible – on, on game day where you can actually enjoy it, which you do want to do that when you're playing sport. I yeah. also had the great thrill of introducing Wayne to, to Tyson. We oh, were, yeah? Yeah, we were in Vegas together. We had a great time. He spoke about that. He said he was about several – no, because he actually said uh, – we were talking about this that, the other day. That would have been he, a good trip. <laughs> no, because he actually said, he goes – he was walking through the casino, I think at Caesars Palace, was it? Yeah, it was one of the casinos and he said – I'm walking through um, Caesar's Palace and then all of a sudden I hear this duck, duck, like this. And he's, he goes, well, there's only one duck. I'm in the casino in Vegas. I think it must have been you that was yelling out to him. Duck. <laughs> I was trying to duck and I knocked him out. No, no. But it is, you know what, it's actually funny and, again, you talk about every sportsman wanting to be in a different sport and whatever. For someone like Wayne Carey, even for him, it would have been interesting that, I mean, you have fans that come up to him and, and get real nervous and tongue-tied and things yeah. like that. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Just oh, no, to- he loved it. He, he was – well, when I took him to the mic and we sat down and had a few drinks and stuff, he, yeah, and Wayne was wrapped. Yeah, it was great. I feel, I feel good too because, you know, when you um, 
I was with Mike and yeah, yeah to introduce him. It was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. How great was he? Yeah, well, look, I think the debate rages either him or Lee Matthews is or are the, the best two players that have ever played the game. Look, for mine, that I never saw Lee Matthews play, but, I mean, I probably nearly sometimes took it for granted that, I mean, the things that he did was just, yeah. norm, it was just it was normal because yeah. you played with him yeah. every week single in, week. week yeah. But I think the best – my thing where I define how whether players are great or not is their ability to have that extra gear – like we've seen with Dustin Martin, like where they get to a certain point in the game and they've had enough and they just go, no, nah, it's time that they've got another gear and they just grab the game by they the kick. throat. And Wayne Carey used to do that. The other players that used to be good, like Anthony Kudafidis, when, oh, yeah. when Kuda, yeah, yeah. when Kuda, and then people ask me, and that's probably stealing maybe one of your questions, the best player I played against. And, and the football that Anthony Kudafidis played in 2000 was the best footy from an opposition player that I'd ever seen. For that sheer fact alone of his ability to just grab a game and just grab it by the throat. And that's what I think how, how I judge whether, how good a, a player is. And obviously Wayne had that in spades. He just felt like there were different times of the game that when a goal needed to be kicked or something needed to be done, yeah. that he just went and did it. And that's where we're pretty fortunate with seeing what Dustin Martin's been able to do in these in these big games and in particular the grand finals, it's sort of getting into that category of your, your Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, that type of thing where, yeah, they've got their normal performance, but it's oh, at those – it's it Fitzy in his prime. <laughs> but I think when they've got that extra gear, that's what really probably yeah, defined like Wayne Carey and, and all the greats do that in spades. Yeah, definitely. What do you think made you successful during your AFL career? I think uh, if what what made me successful when I played my best um, was really when I was having fun. Like when I when I look back at it, and even it probably leads into a little bit about the stuff that I'm doing now. That when I had a why, like a bigger than myself. And, a, and like even in that time at North Melbourne, I wanted to win a premiership medal for the guys that had been at North Melbourne for a long time. So that year when I won the AFL MVP wasn't a great year because I, I won the MVP, which is obviously great, and that was the year that I tied for the Brownlow and didn't win it. But the reason why that year was so – I can look back at it now and why was that year so special and why was it the most rewarding year of footy – well, it was because I wanted to win a medal for all these other guys I was playing footy with. So when I was in that frame – that had a greater purpose. A hundred percent. When I was in that frame of mind that it was a, a lot bigger than just the individual stuff. And I know that you'd even spoken about it from a family point of view that when you've got a bigger why than just doing it for your own selfish needs, that's when I felt like if I could combine that, you, you got a purpose – and then you're having fun, well, then that's when I did play my best footy. You know what, Corey, then I want to ask you this question because you've, you've brought up maybe three or four times already that when you were playing your best or when you – and why why couldn't you bring that to, to every game? I think now that I've had the – Why the, didn't you want to bring that to every game? No, no, I, I would bring it to every game, but I think now that in hindsight, um, I think, I, yeah, I needed to be able to find that – bigger purpose of, yeah, I think that year was so good in terms of wanting to, you know, I mean, win a medal for, for a bigger mm -hmm. purpose. I probably did – the reason why I think I had the fluctuations is having a, a, a goal that was every bit the same as, as that one. 
And whereas I was probably searching to try and find it and that's why I probably went through those highs and lows of, yeah, in big games I was great but then the other ones I struggled. But if I was able to pinpoint it, that's with the benefit of time, it's over 20 years ago now, but that would probably be the number one thing of, okay, how could I at the end of that season, yeah, I wanted to do it because of that but what's – I think the big one now for me would have been as well anyway is, and I don't know whether you did this with from a boxing point of view, is find someone else's record and then chase it. I mean, I know that, like, for example, in the AFL, that maybe Wayne Carey was chasing Dermot Brereton's record. And, I mean, you've got all these players that you aspire to. Maybe that was probably the thing that I should have done is either pick someone and said, right, I'm going to chase that. I'm not whether I get there or not, but at least it gives me something to chase that's just bigger than what I'm actually doing. You know what I mean? Goal setting, but yeah, that's great. No, I said, and for me, no, it was never trying to do what somebody else or break anybody else's record. I just wanted to be the best that I could every fight. And I mean, I think the rewards come naturally if if, if that happens. I mean, if you're as great as you were and you just play consistently well every week, I think you automatically break records and do things that you you, mm. you never dreamt of doing. And that's how I, I enjoyed it more, not really trying to say I wanted to do something, but I just I continually just worked hard and, yeah, I, I achieved goals that I never thought I could or never believed I could, that's for sure. Yeah, look, I think the the, the biggest thing I'm probably proud of is when we when we had our biggest games and when everything was on the line that, that's when I know I actually played at my best. So all the finals games, I think we played in 24 finals, like all my finals record. I know my finals record's as good as anyone's, you know, when it came to those big games. And and in particular, we played in three grand finals, like two of the grand finals where I was in the best two or three players. So I remember distinctly remember the 96 grand final. Um, I remember walking in at quarter time and, and it's weird how you can re- remember conversations you're having with yourself and even just me having a conversation with myself as I walked into the huddle and it was weird. It was in some ways I probably did I put more pressure on myself but I was having this conversation where I went, you know what, if you don't play well today, this is remembered forever. You know what I mean? So you've got to, this is it, you know yeah. what I mean? So, But I also, I, the bigger the crowd, the better I was. Like I, I love, like Lift. especially at the MCG when <clears throat> that, you know, I mean, how big the occasion was. But yeah. but I also love the thought of you were, okay, if you perform on those biggest stages, that's what everyone's going to remember. Yeah, definitely. In 96, we're talking about at the moment, you had a lot of success, but you missed out on the Brownlow medal. You you voted the highest. You should have won it, but you were mm. ineligible because of that suspension. What was that disappointment like and how did you bounce back from that? But the, the whole week of the 96 grand final is still the best week of my whole life. Um and people probably think, hang on, well, I lost the Brownlow medal. But so my week started basically in the prelim final. We played the Brisbane Lions and I, I hurt my posterior cruciate uh, in my knee and I got carried off just before quarter time. So I'm already going into grand final week that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going in with a knee injury. Uh, so Monday was the Brownlow. Uh, Tuesday night uh, we had training. And then people say, I haven't got a Brownlow medal. Well, I actually have because Wayne Carey and Anthony Rock stopped at McDonald's and McDonald's had a promotion that year and uh, Anthony Rock and Wayne Carey stopped and got me a Brownlow medal from McDonald's and then they <laughs> they actually presented it to me at training. So I've, I've kept – I've still got it. It sits with my premiership medallions because 
that means as much to me getting it off my mates as what it meant getting it off the umpires. So that was the Tuesday. The Wednesday of grand final week, I remember going to Vimy House and then I had I think about 50 mils of blood drained out of my knee. Wow. And even at that point, the North Melbourne doctor, Harry Unlick, who's, I mean, it was a brilliant doctor. Even Harry said, oh, I don't think it's a real good idea that you play. And my response was, well, fuck off, Harry, I'm playing. Mm-hmm. And so then that was on the Wednesday, Thursday train, then we have the parade and everything like that. So going into the grand final, I've had this week, as, and I'm only 22 years old, and had everything from my knee, Brownlow medal, all these things, and then to still come out in the grand final. And I had 31 possessions in the grand final. Well, don't worry about the Brownlow. I think I was pretty stiff not to win the Norm Smith medal for best on grand, the grand final. Yeah, yeah, but I was, was – so when everyone asked me about the Brownlow, I go, no, nah, the way I treated that week as a 22-year-old, I could have got to game day and gone, you know what, it's been a big week. It's all been a bit too hard, and knee sore and whatever, but I'm more proud as a, as a 22-year-old that I look back, I had the entire planet thrown at me and then still come out the other side with the Premiership medallion. Yeah. Just I need special. to ask you a quick question because I've fought broken hands and they can just uh, show, <laughs> show, me, show me that finger, mate. Where's that going? <laughs> Uh, that was obviously I know what happened to him. But, um, so for those what, people that aren't watching, Corey's got what do you, a finger what do you to use that for these days? <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you're wiping your backside with that? <laughs> nah, so look, right. what actually happened? That one was more the fact, and I don't know whether you're able to do that in boxing, but it was more the fact that it was continually hitting it on yeah. the end, <clears> and then I, I can actually look when I first finished playing. What was that? Two thousand and. <laughs> You know what's funny? I'll tell you what the funniest thing is, and you go to America a lot, is when I had some friends, uh, Jordan and Virginia Muir, very great friends of mine. we get off at LAX like you do and go down the stairs, see the photo of the president up on the wall and we go through uh, customs. So then obviously when you get to customs, what do you have to do? You've actually got to put your hand yeah. on that little green very thing. Very difficult for you, like so, both hands. So how do you reckon I go when I've actually got to put my hand <laughs> down on there? You'll need two. And every time the person from TSA comes up, well, can you straighten it up? And I'm like, oh, well, no, if I could straighten it up, it'd be dead straight, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> and you know you know the TSA guys. So oh. you, get, you get flicked from there, which is – all, you know, and you get the ladies and whatever. Then you've got to go to the super serious guy that's on the counter, which is a great experience, isn't it? And then they're trying to work out how to get my finger down. So every single time, whoever I'm with, they always get a good laugh about my finger and not. Look, I could actually get it fixed. There was many years ago, I think in, when I first retired, they said, oh, look, you can get it fixed, but it might be stuck straight. Now, the biggest thing I was worried about was obviously golf. golf. And my finger being stuck straight off the club. And look, I, I definitely do need to get it fixed, but I don't probably notice it. There's been a couple of times when I've been on TV and I'm talking, and then I'll actually see my finger and then realize how weird it looks. So for yeah. me, it's normal, but then I understand you guys look at it and go, yeah, you're not normal. <laughs> you're not normal. <laughs> well, Corey, you achieved absolutely everything in AFL, premierships, as you said, Brownlow Medal, even though it's from. McDonald's at that particular time, MVPs, played with some of the greats. How did you transition from all that success then post-playing career? You became an entrepreneur, but how did you handle that transition? Uh, I think, look, the first part of it was I, I watched um, Craig Kelly who 
Yes. Um, Jeff's probably had a bit to do when he was at Collingwood. Not that Ned would, would have been the hardest trainer. I can't imagine Ned being in the the ring like Pants and Tony Shaw and these sorts of guys. But I looked at, at that point, I had Steve Wallace who played at the Western Bulldogs and he, I saw the way that he finished out of footy and then had, he set up Essendon Mazda. And so I, was, I, I had a good a couple of people that I watched that had come out of the game in terms of their transition, and in particular Craig Kelly. Because it's not easy. You know, you, you look at the, the majority of players, fighters, every, in every sport, once it's done, it's, they, they, got, they, don't, they can't find anything. Well, we were talking before about the athletes that end up broke yeah. and have got nothing. But you know what, like, without sounding too deep, I reckon the best analogy that I'd ever heard about post-career transition, and stick with me because it sounds like it's far-fetched, I'd heard this analogy that when – NASA took astronauts to the moon, that when they got them back from the moon, they tried to give them a mission that was every bit as good as going to the moon. Now, when you think about it, whether you're a fighter, whether you're any sportsman, that when you start off, you want to get your first fight, you want to get your first title, like you've always got these up and up and ups. And if you don't have a challenge uh, like post-career that's every bit as challenging, you can see why so many then fall off a cliff. I just thought it was a great analogy that when you're playing sport, you've got all these things that you're always ticking off the list. Well, let me tell you, my, my I'm not, I don't want to go to the moon on my list, that's for sure. No, but it's, <laughs> it's, not, on my, but, it's not on my tick, on my bucket list, that's for but sure. But it's more the fact that, you know, I mean, if you've got Give challenges and, and you've got yeah. these little things that can keep you going, like, and I think the other one too is if you can maintain that structure, the routine, I think that's as big a one that's as vital as any. And as we said from the pandemic, when you mess with people's structure and routine, yeah. look at how much it then freaks people out. And I think athletes are very much creatures of habit. They know they're going to training at this time and it's very, I don't know what, I know boxing in terms of your training in the morning, but the AFL clubs, they're there the entire day, everything's done for them, everything. They don't have to think. And yet when you rip all that out from underneath them, you can see why so many people struggle when they finish playing. So what, what mission did you give yourself once you finished playing AFL that sort of kept that drive and fire burning? I think in the end it was finding something that you were – like you, it was cliche but you were very passionate about. Like that would be my biggest advice for anyone coming outside that go and do something that even if you didn't get paid money for doing, would you get up in the morning and get your ass moving and go and do it? Mm. And I think if it's something that's aligned like that. I think it's a great analogy because you would, you would have played AFL for nothing. I would have boxed, I mean, just to have the success and the love and that friendship and that mateship and watching your friends, I would have boxed from, for nothing. Of mm. course, we made money, it's great, but I would, I'd do it for nothing. So yeah. it's, it's a great analogy and I think uh, yeah, people need to. And I'm, I think we need more people like Corey um, that, that can travel and talk to football clubs and people about that because it, there's, there's a huge gap in people's lives when 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 their career's over and like I'm I'm I've got a lot to do with the Brain Institute at the moment. Corey and I talk about yeah, obviously Jeff Fennick and Steve Roach and all these famous guys who, who talk about. But whenever if something does happen to me, um, I can afford to pay for somebody to come mm. and look after me and help me and stuff. I, I feel for the guys who, who never made it to to the heights that you or I made it to and. What are they doing with their lives? And we don't even know. We don't care about them. We, we need to care about everybody, not just the famous guys, not just the guys who we all know. We need to get to the grassroots and, and, and go through the history and see, check up on everybody. You're right. And I think it's it's also with a lot of people that 
yeah, don't define your success that you've either just become a world champion or a premiership player or an MVP that you have been successful because of the sacrifices that you've actually made anyway. That's success. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what it takes to work your ass off and make this commitment and do all these things. That is automatically being successful. Well, and that's I read- one, of, one of my sayings. I, don't, I tell all my fighters because I know what I put them through to get them to that period. I tell them all prior to I listen. Of course, we've trained to win, but I'm, I'm, you've already done everything you could do. You've already been successful for me. So whatever happens tonight, it, 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 it really doesn't matter to me because I know, I know what we, we get put through to, to fight for a title and for any fight. So I'm happy you said that. Which yeah. is also good because having that mentality anyway, that's also – it makes people relax to yeah. go, you know what, yeah, I have done everything. You know, oh, yeah, I talk about this because there used to be all these signs you read. And there was a sign that I used to always, winning isn't, winning is never the only thing. I just think it's the worst sign I've ever read when I think about yeah. it. Because, because listen, what happens if, if, if you don't win? I mean, if, as long as you've done your best and you're giving your best, as far as I'm concerned, you're a winner. Mm. You've prepared, there's always going to be somebody better than you. So if you've prepared the best you can, you're a winner. And I, mean, yeah. I try to explain to people, listen, and, you know, some people come second or third or fourth or last. It's about getting back there and, and um, summarising why you came second, third, fourth or last. And if you want to win, go out and do the hard work and, and keep trying. So you know, winning is not everything. Um, competing and pre- preparing at the best level you can and giving yourself every opportunity is a winner to me. I think that's why even with me, like being retired, it always – when I got to the end, I, yeah, like I – if anything, I'd done too much. Like, but from a preparation point of view, when it comes to doing extra swims or extra boxing sessions, or I knew by the end I'd fired all my shots. And I think if anyone they can honestly say that that they gave themselves the absolute best opportunity, but then you got no regrets. Yeah, there's that if you, you you've done you can't do anything extra. If and you know what, quite, yeah. but now now there's a I, I'm a I'm a strong believer in the in that sometimes some of these trainers and these. They're, they're burning the engines out too early. It's better to be a little underdone than overdone. Some of these guys who do want to push themselves harder than anybody else and we're going to do this again for Corey or we're going to do this again. These guys are, are, are given 200% every time. By the end of the year, they're burnt out. So yeah. you've got to watch them. You've got to be really careful. You've got to be, as a trainer and as, as a teacher, you just got to watch out and make sure these guys aren't overdoing it because a lot of people do. They push themselves harder than anybody else and you can't do that to your body. Like I said, it's like an engine. If it's burnt out, it's burnt out. You can't fix it. If it's underdone, you can push it a little bit more. That's yeah. where – and you actually watch a team like Richmond from the outside. I'm not saying it just because Richmond have won three out of the last four premierships, but the environment that this seems like they've created at Richmond would just be a brilliant environment to play football in that they don't get too high, they don't get too low, but they always seem in those pre-games and things like that, they're all having a laugh. They've got a good culture. That's what people forget. Like yeah. that you actually – yeah, we want to be serious and I know that there's a lot at stake – but I tell you what, if you, if it's not if it's not fun, you don't no, want to I'm do sure. it. <laughs> do you want to tell us about some of the initiatives that you've got going on at the moment, um, Corey? Yeah, well, the the biggest one that uh, at the moment that I I really unfortunately I saw a headline in the Australian newspaper that that's what really got me moving. I created this thing called Walk with Me, and where that started was I saw a headline in the Australian newspaper that the suicide toll was going to outstrip the coronavirus death toll. And unfortunately, I'm pretty sure that that's actually come to fruition, which is very sad. Mm. But what I did at that time, and I think it was back in March, 
I thought, well, I'm actually really good mates with Wayne Swass, who I played football with at North Melbourne, and also another guy who played football that um, Jake Edwards has got a, a, a foundation called Outside the Locker Room. And I've had a little bit of dealings with them and thought, well, what can I actually do? You know, I mean, I know it's we're great at conversations nowadays, but my thing was, well, what can I do? I've only ever known physical activity, probably like yourself, Jeff, where you just go, hang on, well, I'll get moving. So then mm. that's where I thought, well, hang on, if I just come up with a, a walk and then that's where the whole thing started, I thought, well, hang on, how can I connect with these people? Zoom, we all became really bloody good at Zoom, didn't we? Yeah. Actually, um, even, even you blokes became yeah. good at Zoom. <laughs> 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 But even um, – and then I thought, well, hang on, if I can get people on a Zoom walk. And I'll tell you what, like some of the messages that I got during um, – like during the pandemic about – and again, it came down to structure, routine, just getting up, going for a walk in the morning. Like you think, okay, I know we're in Sydney now and I'm on the Sunshine Coast, but Melbourne middle winter, going oh. through that pandemic, mm. a lot of these guys, and I told them – and and you'd sort of know some of these sayings a little bit, Jeff, anyway, that I said, you know what, you get through this June, July, this is like money in the bank. I go, this is like training sessions in the bank that when you look back in November and December, I go, they're going to be the ones to go, you know what, I got my ass out of bed and I made the effort to get up. And the big thing that what we try and do, and we're fortunate to have um, Jeff as a guest, is my big thing is you want to give people tools in their kit bag that in any environment they can thrive. And that's yeah. that was the big mantra that what little gem can they pick up of from Jeff Fennick or we had Wayne Carey the other day or Pat Rafter this morning. Like if all of a sudden there's just little things that people can pick up. The other thing that happens from it, and I don't know whether you boys notice this, if you do a Zoom where you're actually just sitting at home, like if we're sitting and doing a Zoom here, well, then I'll probably – I drift off and I grab my phone. And, but the good thing about when you walk, they have to you, – you, you, people are really You've engaged. Yeah. First, yeah. first of all, the time goes quickly and two, you, you, you're sort of committed to it. Like I said, like even the small, like even with Jeff the time flew and then even this morning, like, yeah, Pat, right. I don't, it's something at the moment that, you know, I mean, I don't know where the direction of walk with me is going to go. Have I this year, do I make a cent out of doing that? No, but – how do I, like I get a front row ticket that I get to do research and what I get to interview Jeff Fennick. Well, you've certainly to- done that well. I was got to let you know I I love doing um, anything for anybody and helping, but especially when somebody's done their homework and they know I really enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the walk. I enjoyed the walk. Every question you asked me, um, you would you would dotted your eyes and cross your t's and it made it really enjoyable for me. Yeah, look, I always I think with anyone you ever talking to. I'm conscious that you want to make it flow and like even you're also, you're also trying to go, okay, how am I going to make this flow? How am I going to extract some gems out of them? I don't want to ask them the same lame, lame-ass questions like how am I going to – so even like this morning I got up at like – I knew I was interviewing Pat Rafter and it's funny, once you actually start doing it, it's – it is pretty easy to do when you start. Like I'm, I, I was watching footage on Jeff and going, I was. It was like you were reliving your childhood of going all these boxing matches and things yeah. like that. So, like I said, something that um, do I make a, a lot of any money out? No, but in terms of the people that you've helped, like during the pandemic, I will tell you what. Like Monday mornings after Dan Andrews would make an announcement, fuck me. Like <laughs> it was. I felt like I was an AFL coach that 
percent at half time, the team was down by 20 goals mm. and I was having to – I'd spend the first 20 minutes, they were just stunned. Mm. Like they, But at least they got out of bed and then I'd – after the first one – something after, to look forward to. Well, but I had to really even put more preparation into it myself going, well – Hang on, if I'm really going to drive this and I'm really going to make sure I lift them. Yeah, you got to know what you're talking about. I've, I've actually got to think of, well, hang on, what's an angle I can take? Like I, all I had to keep going is go, you know what, you've you got no other choice. The things that I really push to people is like write a list of everything that you're going to do when this is over. This is going to end. Mm. So write a, an amazing list of all the things you're going to do. Like if you're going to go to America or you're going to do all this or I'm going to do this with family. But you know the interesting part? I've noticed since the pandemic's over, we've been getting guests like obviously like Jeff. I've noticed it's nearly harder to get people now than what it was during the pandemic. And the only thing I'm starting to sense a little bit is that people getting a little bit comfortable again. They'll just go back into old habits and I'd, I don't know, but at least I'd like to think with what we've created with Walk With Me, we've had, a, I reckon, a huge impact in, it, in helping people great. get through a tough year. So. Yeah, no, I think it's a great initiative and as you said, you've had Jeff on there as a as a guest through one of the Zooms, so yeah, well done. Yes, well, especially thanks to you because you got the Zoom up and running. <laughs> <laughs> it was a team effort. So just say that's your greatest, your greater purpose these days, just trying to help people. That's what you get, you know, the greatest through. Oh, look, I, I think with the projects I want to do that if that, that would be the op optimum sweet spot. If I can continue to do things like that, I probably next year I do want to maybe start doing some – um, like some coaching sort of one-on-one -on -one that may be around sort of physical and mental performance because um, I think, I don't know, I think there's a there's a gap there. Like, And I getting a result with people, it's probably no different to some of the stuff that Jeff's doing with fighters. When you can see some of the things that you're saying and they're working, you get as big a buzz oh. out of it as, as anyone else does. Oh, yeah. mate, I, love, I love coaching much more than I did fighting. I love teaching. I love seeing my boys have success and, and sharing it with them. But do you – so if you go into a fight, how much – like nothing could ever replace the nerves of actually being a fighter. But do I you find you nervous. nearly get more no, nervous? I'm more nervous, yeah, yeah, because I'm, you know, I had my own, um, you know, faith in my hands when I was fighting. Because you've got control yeah, of your own yeah, destiny. Yeah, of course, yeah. I would just get control of this. Yeah, you know, you trying to think, have I you know, <laughs> done the right thing here? Is this the right guy from the fight? Have I given the right plan? And, and my, my boys – Listen to everything I say. So if you watch a fight and if I say something within within a, a second, they're, they're doing it. So they, they trust my eye and my, you know, and, and my judgment. So when a fight's on, I've always been curious to know, like so in the middle of like fight, is it that hard to stop like momentum during a fight? So even though, yes, I know the bell goes and you'll come in between the rounds, how hard is it to in the middle of a fight to then switch tack and then come up with something new that's going to turn the momentum back your way? Well, it all depends, again, who you, who's your coach or teacher. Yeah. I mean, I've gone back to the corner and all of, you know, drank some water and really never told anything because I was winning my fights all the time, just do what you're doing. When you're in that position where, yeah, you, you, you're, you're, your guy's in a tough fight, it's your job to give him those instructions. It's like a footy coach saying, you know, listen, we, we need to – Stay away from him or kick the ball there, and that's my job as well. I've yeah, got to, I'm, I'm just totally focused on what the other guy is doing and what we need to do or what we can do to to better it. So, so my first thing is I just let my my fighter sit down, 
first thing is all about relaxing, getting the heart rate down. And we, we have a minute, so I don't try to do too many things except let them sit down, breathe, and let them relax, and then just tell them one or two things. And that's all, you know, boxing, it's pretty simple. It's hard out there, but it's simple. There's only a you know, few punches you can do and a few things that can happen. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I, I really enjoy the, that challenge of when they come back to trying to, if the fight's hard, to trying to make them change a the fight. And I believe that. With good advice, if you've got a good fighter that listens, it, it, it happens. It's happened many times for me. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We've got some big fights coming up, which is exciting. So round off the year. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Corey. We really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Thanks yep. for having me on your walk. I really enjoyed it. I don't walk too often. I don't do Zoom, but um, it was something that I really, really enjoyed and I hope you have great success with it. I think that it is uh, there is an opportunity for you to, to get some, some – major sponsors on board and support you and support some charities and, and make it well. We talk about talking to people, what, you know, like how do you do and stuff. Mate, walking is as, as important, especially if people are listening to people who have had influence on their life. I think it's a, a real big, great thing you're doing, Corey. Well, we've got, yeah, I think now we've still got about two weeks to go and uh, in like in this sort of challenge period that, you know, I mean, we, we were trying to get a guest every Monday, Wednesday, Friday and, I think now we're up to about – we've raised about like $10,000 already. So it was interesting. At the start, I had this whole thing. I said, right, I wanted to get to 500, 500 meals, which meant I was going to have to raise about thirty grand. But then I had those sort of words of Wayne Swass ringing in my ear when I first started doing anything to do with the walk. And I know it's very cliched. He goes, oh, look, if you can help even one person with this. Yeah. Until you actually get a message knowing you – what the impact you've made. You don't understand the mm. power of that statement. But then I just stripped it back and said, you know what, whatever we get's a bonus because it means that either one person is actually going to be having like a Christmas lunch at their own house. Yeah. And thus far, like even with that 10 grand, well, that means 150, 160 people yeah. are going to have Christmas. At, and you know how crazy is it? You see, we used to with some other things the other day. When we're finishing up now, I want to show you a little thing that I've done just on the weekend and, and they sent me a message that made me feel so great. It's bizarre that you just brought that up, but I'll show it to you anyway. Anyway, but well, thanks, Corey. Yeah, yeah, it's been amazing. Really mate. appreciate no, it's it. Been uh, really, really enjoyable. Thank no, you. For and I've loved being down in the best sports memorabilia place I've been yeah. in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I might be sneaking out with a few prints. So just turn your back, Jeff, and, I'll, and a few things disappear. And a belt or two. I'll, I'll love up to a lunch today with one of these belts. It'll go really well. <laughs> I'll never forget really quick. And Brian Lara came in one day, and I gave him one. And apparently, went out that night. He had this belt on. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. That's the ultimate bling. Yeah. Just rocking around oh. with a world heavyweight oh, belt. Yeah. Doesn't get any better than that. Absolutely. All right, Brent. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, mate. Don't forget to subscribe, Standing 8, YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. <laughs>